and welcome back to the Chris Yeh podcast. This is, as always, Chris Yeh, and I have a very special treat for you guys today. I have someone on the line whom I met recently, but I feel like and wish that I'd known all my life. Someone who you guys are absolutely going to love, somebody who shares my passion for storytelling and being able to really get people's attention. Please welcome one of the great pitch masters of the world, Precious L. Williams. Thanks for having me, Chris. I love that intro. Well, I, if I really wanted to make it impressive, I would have gone further and listed off the endless number of awards that you've received, because I find that most people don't feel good touting themselves. But maybe you could at least, because I'm asking you, talk to people and, and mention some of the pitch awards you've won. So I am a 13-time National Elevator Pitch Champion, meaning I've won the Perfect Pitch Elevator National Elevator, National Elevator Pitch Championship three times in a row. I won the Black Enterprise Elevator Pitch Championship. I won the Workshop and Business Opportunities National Championship. I won the People's Choice Award, and I won the Investor Award. Uh, I have also been on top shows like Shark Tank. Yes, actual as a participant as a as a person pitching their business and blew the sharks away um, I've been Forbes magazine black enterprise magazine uh, CNN Wall Street Journal you name it if it's a top business show I've probably been on it just to talk about the art and science of pitching uh, I am an international professional speaker so when I am when I'm speaking I'm still pitching too and I've created a number of different innovative ways to talk about pitching that doesn't that takes it out of the realm of oh you just didn't know that and i really spend a lot of time showing people that no every time you talk that is a pitch if you want people interested in what you have to say whether you're going into a job interview whether you're going before an investor whether you want media attention or whether you want to stand out in your networking group and don't get just oh they're talking again no one cares and no one gives you referrals so pitching is truly life and i really want to hone in on that for a lot of people so that they don't miss opportunities because they just don't take chances and put themselves out there. And I can tell the audience that you absolutely make a huge impression. So we met each other recently when we were both participants on a panel about using social media when you're an entrepreneur and pitching investors. And this was all part of the Women's Startup yes. Labs Wise 24 program. And I remember meeting you, and from the first second you began speaking, I thought, wow, Precious really knows where it's at. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was, you know, I was really nervous. I was really nervous because I, I was looking at, you know, you all investors, venture capitalists, and here I am, the pitch master. And it was so refreshing to hear the, the investors and you say, hey, we're, we're not looking to say yes to everyone because that's silly. Most people will never be able to pitch very well because they, they're going off what they read on Google or you know, just doing the basics and not understanding. And if you really want to stand out, you really still want to stand out with investors too. And it doesn't matter what your race, your creed, your color, and all of that kind of stuff is, you still want to be able to shine above anyone else. And one of the great things that I think we both did during the course of the event is we did one of my favorite tricks, which is to listen to other people's pitches and then immediately repitch them. And this is actually something you and I are planning to do on a show coming soon to YouTube, LinkedIn Live, and other places like that, because uh, I just feel like we'd be a dynamite team. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think, you know, I did something last weekend called Precious Fix My Pitch. And do you know how fun that was? And, and it was all because of what it was all because of what we did when we were, you know, at the at the at the, the startup labs event, the global pitch event. And I, I used to do it on uh, LinkedIn years ago. I would people would send in pitches to me, and I would break them down. But there's nothing like when you see it done live. And I was so impressed with you because you were engaging too. You you would think that. You, you would think that some people would, would just be like, oh, well, you know, I just say a couple of things and that's it. No, you blew me away. I was like, oh, yeah. I said, he's my kind of people. Well, thank you. The feeling was definitely mutual. And afterwards, you know, since we, since again, we're going to be working together, I got this on tape now. You can't deny it. Nope. Uh, but since because of that, I started looking into your background and I was like, wow, this is really fascinating 
because there's this whole turn in your life. I mean, you have a, a life of, of incredible achievement. We'll talk about some of the obstacles you've also overcome, mm-hmm. but you have this life of incredible achievement. You're an alum of Spelman, Rutgers Law School. You're working at a white shoe New York law firm. And let me get this, uh, let me just, I don't want to be offensive to the lawyers, but most of the lawyers I think of, I don't think of as great pitch masters. I think mm-hmm. of them as a little uptight and you know, kind of colorless and mm-hmm. bland. And that is not you. So how did you end up in the legal field? And when did you realize that was a horrible mistake and that you needed to be you? Oh, my goodness. I think probably, you know, it's one thing to do law and law in law school and, you know, be a great student attorney. When you're actually really an attorney, the cases that you would sink your teeth into, you know, aren't coming for another eight to 10 years. And you're like, I don't have time for that. And let's be clear, to do the same thing for 40 years and there's no variety bothered me. I said, I really got to keep doing this for 40 years? No, I'm good. And it wasn't until I met this very famous Hollywood actor. We went on a we went on a date and it was something about the way I wrote my little ad. It was very cute. It's called Two to Tango. Are you allowed to say who this was? I'm, you know, he's deceased. He's oh. deceased. And, I, and, and even if I did, I, I, what I never want is to put more emphasis on him. Because not just because he's deceased, but also what he did for me is the reason why you're talking to me today. Had I mm-hmm. never met him, it would I wouldn't be here today. Uh, so when we met, he he brought something out of me. I was 327 pounds. I've never been that size in my life, but I was so depressed about you know my my seven year relationship ending. And when I met this man, I just thought he blow he's going to blow me off. There's no way he's going to give me a second shot. We went on a second date, a third date, a fourth date. And I'm looking like, okay, this is a fat girl's dream. This is a big girl's dream. And, you know, the more I thought about it, I said, you know, there ought to be nice underwear, nice lingerie for women who are a certain size. And so one of the things that I did is, you know how when you're putting a business plan together and you're doing your primary and your secondary research, one of the things that I wanted to do to really test myself was go to every lingerie store in the five boroughs. I didn't care how small it was, how big it was. And what I really realized, it's not just something you're just saying out off the side of your neck. You are truly saying there is nothing really pretty after a certain size. It's almost as if you don't exist. So when people said I was too fat, I was too black, didn't have an Ivy League degree, I would never get funded and that I'd never be on television. I took that as a challenge. First of all, I'm from the inner city of St. Louis, Missouri. And I was always told I'd never make it. And here I live in beautiful New York City and making it. And I wanted to prove that a black woman with a dream can do it. It it may be harder, but I knew I could do it. And so I never did I think my first pitch would get me on uh, your business with JJ Ramberg or my second pitch would get me a $500,000 check. No, I didn't think that. I would have been happy with the television appearance just being like, okay, all right, we did it. Um, and then to go on to enter other pitch competitions and it went 13 out of 14 times, you can't script a better story than that. So we have lingerie to mm-hmm. thank for your life as a pitch master. That's incredible. Yes. Yes, you do. You have lingerie, you have a, a great relationship, and you also, you know what it is? You know how they say necessity is the motherhood of invention? It really is. Had I not been that size, do you think I would have cared? Probably not. You would have just gone to the regular Victoria's Secret or the underwear section of the Macy's or what have you, and there would have been plenty of stuff that you could have bought. Right, and I'd just been like, mm. Oh, and so if someone had said, oh, well, you know, curvy women don't have anything. Mm, not my problem. Now that, <laughs> that business, what was the name of that business? Because that Cur- was a business you ran for a number of years. Yes, Curvy Girls Lingerie. I love that. And what did you learn in the course of running that business? What surprised you? Because had you been an entrepreneur before? or had no. you been Mm-mm. So nope. this was a huge education. What happened? What did you learn? You know what I learned? is that fortune favors the bold. You know, when you listen to the stories of the greats, and they usually are supposed to be populated by men who are the greats, you'll hear that they broke against, they broke away from the crowd. They did something incredible. But you don't really hear that for a lot of people of color. You don't really hear that as our story. No one really starts in a garage. No one has someone give them a million dollars. It's usually like a scrappy store. Our stories are usually scrappy. And to think that I had no skills as a designer, 
I had no skills as anything but an attorney. And I knew I could speak. I just didn't think my speaking would take me to this level. But when I went on LinkedIn, I'll never forget, I went on LinkedIn, I said, help, I need help starting a lingerie company. This woman out of Tempe, Arizona, she got me started. She told me what, what stores, to, what, what um, studios, lingerie studios and salons to go to. And that started everything. But I had to be bold enough to ask for help. I went to SCORE. I went to a lot of different business. Um, those In New York, we have a lot of free business um, growth uh, seminars and workshops and stuff. So I went to so many of them. And I just believed in myself beyond a shadow of all doubt. I was like, I'm the first person in my family with a college degree. And so I just believed I could. Did I think I would take it to this level? No. And another thing I learned is your network, you hear people say this all the time, your network is your net worth. It's also your lifeline. So when I was down, people came in to help and to supplement what I didn't know because I asked. I wasn't afraid to ask. I knew that if I waited on people in my community to just help, a lot of them didn't have the resources. So I asked people who looked nothing like me and I, I fell on my sword and I asked for help. And do you know I was never turned down, ever? Mm. I was never turned down. Mm. And that's something that I think a lot of young people and a lot of women, even my age, I'm 41, you need to know that your fear will hold you back in more ways than you will ever realize. And that's why when you make the, when you make an ask, ask big. The worst is you get knocked down a little bit, but if you don't ask at all, there's no point in even having that conversation. Well, I think that it is very clear that you have learned that lesson well, but I am really, really interested now. If you can, if we can, let's talk about growing up in St. Louis, Missouri and becoming the first member of your family to, to graduate with a college degree, what was it that gave you this burning talent, this incredible drive, this ability to speak, which again, is obvious to anyone who spends five minutes with you? Well, you know what, Chris? Honestly, when I was growing up, my mother um, almost beat me to death on November 18, 1991. But before that, I was always grounded, beat up, broken nose, cut with glass, uh, beat with broomsticks and extension cords. So I still have the scars from that. But it's funny, I remember being five years old and hearing this whisper in my ear that I was a star. There was no one around, but that I was a star. You know, and as I grew older, I would look around like, where does that voice come from? Where did that come from? I saw Sally Jesse Raphael, who was a, a former talk show host. I she remember Sally Jesse Raphael. And I knew I wanted to be just like her. Everybody thinks I would say Oprah, but Oprah wasn't, I don't want to say she was there at that time, but I remember something Jesse Raphael. I remember Phil Donahue. And did I ever really think that, but that's just what kept coming into my mind. You're a talk show host, you're a talk show host, you're a talk show host. They just don't know. So I would arrange dolls or like mom, my mom had Harlequin romance and I would sort arrange them as guests and talk to them. <laughs> and so the truth of the matter is, when I looked around at my situation, everyone looked depressed. Everyone was in the project, you know, dating people they didn't want to date, having kids with people they didn't want to have kids with. And I just didn't want that for myself. And I almost feel like I was born different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I remember being younger and looking at some Steve Jobs things like way, way, way back. And he had, I think they had a commercial called Think Different and only aired once. But anyway, long story short, I always felt different from most people. I felt like I just didn't fit in and I learned to embrace it, which sounds so strange because when you're young, you want to fit in, but I didn't because I, I, one of the things I recognized is I used to watch biography, 20th mm -hmm. century American justice. Like a &E used to be my channel. I used to watch with Bill Curtis and Bill Curtis was like one of those guys I would look up to and say, I want to have his job one day. I want to be able to create shows. I want to be able to, to, to do these amazing things and see, when you're watching biography or intimate portrait and you get the real stories behind the music, those fascinated me. I didn't like the glitz and glam shows. I wanted to see what were people like when things got rough and hard? Where, where did that testicular fortitude come from that told them to keep going? And because I was watching something on Aristotle on Nassus or any of the greats, the stories that they don't tell you in Inc., Entrepreneur and Fast Company, 
those were the stories I wanted to hear. How did they make a make it or break decision? Was every decision they made perfect? No. Those are the stories I wanted to hear to know that I wasn't alone, that I'm going to make a mistake. And you know what? It's not fatal. And so that's where it came from. Just knowing that the stories you see on regular television are the, the glitz and cleaned up stories. The stories on when people are doing real biographies on people, where they tell the truth about some of the hardest times in their lives, gave me the strength to say, you know what, no matter how bad it's going to get, I got to keep going. Because my mom told me I wouldn't be anything. My dad was absent with a drug addiction. And my family, you know, made me feel bad for wanting to succeed so bad, like my next breath. So if you ever saw me in a pitch competition, Chris, years ago, you would really have thought fire hit the stage because that's how I came. I came to do damage on stage. I came to slay all competition. I wasn't there to just take first easily. I was going to fight for it. I was going to fight and I came to fight. I came to, to establish once and for all who is the best in the world at what they do. And that is me. And mm -hmm. just last year, I was a pitch coach for Google. And there was this one young woman in the comp, actually she was an older woman. When I tell you her pitch was so good, I said, I had to stand up. I said, I'm sorry, I want to go against you. And she looked so stunned. And she said, why? I said, because you brought your A, your A team, you brought the dream team pitch. And Ric Flair said years ago, to be the best, you have to beat the best. And you by far were the best that you made me want to come out of retirement and go head to head with you. She looked stunned and tears came to her eyes. And I said, that's how good you are. She said, do you think you'd win? I said, oh, I know I would. I'm not worried. <laughs> Why would I be worried? I'm ready. It's Michael Jordan in the Last Dance documentary. Yes, I'm not playing with you. I'm, I'm ready for you. And I said, but do know I consider you one of the best. And that's why I would go head to head with you. It would be an honor for me to go head to head with you. You know, some things strike me about the story you just told. There are a couple of them. The first is you mentioned Oprah, and there are these fascinating similarities. I did a podcast episode recently talking about Oprah's life. Mm -hmm. And it was the case. I mean, she had a very, very difficult upbringing. And she always dreamed of doing something like she did. She played with corncob dolls on a fence as if they were talk show panelists that she was interviewing. So in that real sense, you very much were like Oprah. Uh, and of course, uh, she has succeeded enormously. And I expect you to succeed enormously as well. The other thing is, you, know, you described a situation where it's almost unimaginable, the fact that people were not encouraging you. People were, in fact, telling you you weren't going to amount to anything, and they would try to drag you down when you tried to, to achieve it and be great. And you found mentors in the form of these biographies that you were consuming. Yes. Mm -hmm. These were the mentors. You, even though you never saw them personally, you were able to take in their lessons and apply them, even though you were in such an inhospitable environment. Yes. Yes. It's funny what you can learn from. It's funny. And then when my grandparents stepped in when I was 15 years old to raise me, I remember thinking, I don't want to live with old people. When I tell you that was the best decision I never made, have you ever had people who, my grandmother loved me. I was named after my grandmother, Precious Williams. She's deceased and she's been deceased for 20 years. My grandmother would twinkle my toes in the morning and she would make me do affirmations, telling me I'm the greatest in the world. I'm the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the greatest speaker. When I walk into a room, all eyes on me. Like she used to say the craziest things to me. And do you know what? She wasn't lying. Absolutely. And there's a parallel there too. When Oprah was a teenager, she went to live with the man who gave her her, her name, uh, mm -hmm. she it doesn't it doesn't seem like she was actually his biological daughter, but he certainly raised her that way. He's still alive today, a barber a barbershop owner and politician, and he told her, you know what? I would accept C work from a C student, but you're better than that. Ooh. You're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to goof off. You have the power. You have the capability and talent to succeed. And you are not allowed to, uh, to waste that. And wow, your grandparents. Uh, so was that like, is that a key turning point? What changed after you began living with them besides the fact that you finally had someone who was encouraging you? 
what changed is I finally had support I needed to go after my dreams. Mm. I walked into that high school in special education classes. I, I look back and like, wow, like that's how far I had fallen. And within a week, I was in AP classes, even in the hood. When I tell you my grandmother drove me to and from school, she just did not believe in her grandbaby walking to school. She said, this is the hood. You may never come home. I need to make sure you get in that door and get out. I need to make sure. And just think about that. You hear all these horror stories from the hood, at like Tales from the Crypt or something like that. But when I tell you, in my entire three and a half years living with my grandparents, I was left alone no more than an hour and a half mm. in the house. Mm-hmm. Do you hear what I'm saying? I was yes. never alone. And so they did that to show me that yes, there are, there, you are like the rose that grew from concrete. I grew from concrete, I grew from hardness and I am soft and beautiful. And that it took a beautiful woman like my grandmother who probably made mistakes with her own children and she was determined to make sure that I felt loved and that love turned my hard, violent heart into a very, <clears throat> excuse me, my hard and violent heart went so soft. Like one look from my grandmother and I would just be like, oh my God, I love my grandmother, I love my granddaddy, oh my God. You know, like it's it such a shock for people to see me and just be like, oh my, that's the same, that's the same girl. And I'm like, yeah, she's so nice. And I'm like, yeah, that's how my grandparents got me. I used to say, yes, ma'am, no, sir, what? Never learned how to say that. And so when you have the support, I, I was fed regularly, like fed. I never had to eat out of garbage cans. I never had to wear Salvation Army clothes. All my clothes came from JCPenney. And can I tell you, when you've been wearing Salvation Army clothes that weren't cute all your life, to finally have JCPenney clothes was a, mm. was a step up. I promise you it was a step up in the game. Like I wasn't teased anymore. I literally went from dead last to the number one student in my class. I went from being the ugly duckling to the queen of my high school in my senior year. I went from being, you know, the lowest, like a private to the battalion commander of the junior ROTC program. I had a full scholarship to Spelman College, a full scholarship to Georgetown University Law Center. I earned that. Regardless to what you may hear in the news, I earned that. And you know how I earned it? The gift of speech, the gift of connection, and knowing what to do no matter what, like knowing what to say being a firefighter, putting out fires and just keep it moving. I, I, I didn't have, I couldn't live on excuses anymore. And no matter, you know, three, three and a half years ago, four years ago, I was homeless on the streets of New York. The love of my life died. The man, the man, you know, who shall remain nameless when he died, I didn't grieve. And then by the time I started to grieve, I began drinking to try to um, cope and today, honestly, Chris, I've been sober, clean and sober, three and a half years to date, is July 22nd. And so when I tell you, every hard thing I feel like I've had happen to me, and it prepared me to help other women and men get past anything that hurts and, and stunts their growth. There's no reason that I walked out of a program less than two years ago that I'm speaking at NBC and I'm doing global pitch events and that I'm being paid to fly here and fly there, be an international professional speaker, going to Halifax, Nova Scotia for International Women's Day as the keynote speaker, going to Perth, Australia, going to Milan, Italy and filming movies. That doesn't even make sense in the natural. That makes no sense as Joe Osteen says. In the natural, my story makes no sense. But in the supernatural, it's expected. Well, I can tell you, the thing that really sets you apart, the thing that makes you capable of doing all this, is the fact that you have an incredible charisma. You have the ability to move people, to make them feel. And in terms of, as you said, being a rose growing from concrete, the ability to overcome what you have overcome, to take that hardship and suffering and convert it into fuel for burning fire of ambition and achievement, that makes it inspirational as an example to anyone that you work with. I think that's one of your superpowers. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it is a, it is a, it is a superpower. Like I told you, I find, I really believe I'm the female MacGyver of business. I really believe that. 
you know, every time you watch MacGyver, two toothpicks, a, a toothbrush, something, you know, and so, um, honest to God, Chris, like, when we met, like, that whole event blew my mind. You know, people always expect things to run so perfectly, and it's got to be, it's like, no, did it ever occur to people that it's in the cracks, it's in the the things that don't always move perfect, that the perfection really does shine through. That in those fault lines, that in those, like, you ever heard of that? I don't know the, the term for it, but it's like a, if you, like, in certain countries, if you break a, a, a vase, they put it together beautifully, and, like, you can see the cracks, but there's, like, gold dipped into it, so. Yes, I've heard I about this art that. form. It's, it's so beautiful because it's like life, like, all of us have been broken by something, and so we've had to put ourselves back together, or the great, the good Lord has put us back together, and, like, there's a beauty in brokenness because mm -hmm. once you are broken, once you are truly broken and you can rise up from that, think how much stronger you are versus the person who never struggles. That's you, right. you built yourself, you build yourself back up. When I went to Spelman college, I went to school with a whole bunch of um, beautiful black women who came from money. I didn't know what that felt like. I felt embarrassed until my sisters told me and you know it's it's funny i'm sorry i'm getting a little emotional no no please but um my sisters on a daily basis used to give me hugs like i, I got at least 12 hugs a day and do you know why they did that because you know when some of them had found out my story but beyond all of that they wanted me to know each and every day that i deserve to be there as much as they did they said you got to respect the scholarship student because you truly, there's no one who pay, the people who pay for your scholarship saw the value in you. My dad paid for this. If I had no, you know what I mean? And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now that we're all older and we're in our 40s, do you know what it's like to get calls and, you know, phone calls and Zoom meetings with women I went to college with who were just like precious? You were exactly the way you were back then. You really are. You should tell us what you were going to do. And you did it. They said, no matter how far down you fell, you kept getting up. And I think that, you know, not only are your sisters proud of you, obviously, I think your grandmother would be so proud of you, of, of the things you've accomplished, of the things you've overcome, of being able to bounce back from some of the most difficult times imaginable. They were difficult. Um, being homeless, I find, has been one of the uh, hardest experiences of my life. We'll talk about that because that is something, again, for most people, they think to themselves, well, you know, uh, no matter what happens, um, I have family that will be able to take me in. You didn't have that. You didn't have that safety net. What was it like? It was, it was very, it was very difficult. It's funny. I had a, one of my um, college, one of my college, one of my college, uh, my Spelman sisters asked me that maybe three or four months ago. She said, Precious, you always gloss over your homeless experience. She said, let's talk about it. The minute she said it, I burst into tears. And she said, that's what I wanted. She said, because you're detaching yourself from it. She said, you don't understand. I said, okay, so for me, the reason why I, was, I had to detach is because first I had to deal with the death of the actor. Mm-hmm. Then I had to deal with the fact that I squandered every dollar I had on stuff I don't remember because I blacked out. Mm. I lost my home. I lost jewelry. I lost every dollar in my bank account. I was so ashamed. I didn't talk to my friends. I just, I just felt like if there was a skid row, I feel like I was on it. <laughs> and so I went back home to kill myself. In 2007, in 2016, I was going to kill myself on my 38th birthday. And um, my cousin came home and found me unconscious and called the call for the ambulance. They said two minutes later, I'd have been dead. Two minutes later. You I had, woke uh, up in the... You had taken, uh, you had taken, taken all my medication. Yeah, I had yep. taken all my medication. I drank an obscene amount of alcohol. Obscene amount of alcohol. Anything Thank I could goodness find she found you. Yeah, he, he did. He hit my cousin, little James. Mm -hmm. And so when I woke up in the hospital, I was so upset. I was like, I can't even kill myself. What? I can't even kill myself. And I had the greatest um, staff in the psych ward where I was transferred to. And the, the staff would say, Precious, you have no idea who you really are. 
And you know, at the time when you're going through a hard experience, you can't hear people saying that you're great. You can't hear it. Mm-hmm. And so my friend, Miss Francis of Bright Point Health here in New York, she happened to call my aunt, like, I ain't heard from Precious in a minute. What's up with that? My aunt said, oh, she's here in St. Louis. My friend immediately knew something was wrong. She said, Precious, but I'm going to go to St. Louis to die. I, she, and she she somehow convinced my aunt. She somehow convinced the hospital. Like, they put me on a Greyhound bus back to New York. I got here so scared. I didn't know what to do. She put me in crisis respite, which is in Gramercy, a very beautiful townhouse. I was there for a few days. Then I went into the Missionaries of Charity Shelter for nine days. And then I was admitted into the Bowery Mission Women's Center, where I was there for almost two years. And so there was no real speaking. It was a Christ-centered life transformation program. And being there, I kind of lost hope that I would ever speak again. Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, maybe they kept telling me to get a, you know, a high paying job and and stuff like that. Right. And um, by the time it was over, I felt myself growing Mm. because I found I met God in the darkest place. And when I tell you, he he lifted my head head up and he said, just like that, that quote, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I was called and I was born for this. I used to look out the window at night and cry, like, will, will I ever be able to get on stage? And he said, look at it from a different perspective. It's not about you. It's about the women that come behind you. I saved That's your right. life. I saved your life for you to give life to other women and to watch them fly beyond their wildest dreams. That is why you're on this earth. It's not about you anymore. Every beating you took, every broken nose, every cut, every scar, is to make sure another woman doesn't have it. And if she does, you hold her hand as she walks on that stage for the first time. You hold her hand as she does a virtual speaking gig. You hold her hand as a woman get ready to pitch in front of an investor that's looking mean to her. You hold her hand when she's got to go to a networking event. And even though you physically won't be there, she knows you got her. And, and you know, I, all I can do is break down and I would try to tell the staff and when I finally walked out of the Bowery Mission, I remember God saying to me, it's now begun. The second chapter of your life starts now. And um, my first speaking gig was at Bottomless Closet. My second one was at Viacom. Do you hear what I just said? Viacom. Yes. What? What? Yes. My second speaking engagement was at Viacom and I killed it. Killed it. Killed it. And then it just kept happening. And, you know, next thing I knew it was LinkedIn. It was Google. It was Mike. Like, there were so many things that happened in this session that I, I would tell people, it's God. It's not me. It's God. Because there's no way that I should be out of homelessness six months and I'm speaking on some of the greatest places that people beg to get into. They would beg just to even sit there. I'm walking in the front door. I'm being driven in. I'm being. As the guest of honor or the keynote speaker. Yeah, when I did this thing for InStyle Magazine this year, I was sitting next to one of the producers from Saturday Night Live, and I was there with uh, one of the big-time people at, was it Meredith Corp and Hearst Publications? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what it felt like to, I, and, you know, I was trying to be as cute as possible, right? <laughs> you know, it was a chocolate drop on in the panel. And I sat there, and in, it was inside that I cried because I knew my grandmother. My grandmother was here for everything. She was, like, when I was a teenager, and I saw her sitting in the audience and it was, mm. she just nodded and she said, I told you, you're the greatest of all time. And I held court with some of the biggest and the brightest in the world. And you can't put a price on my story. You can't put a price on any of the things. So when I am recognized you know, people get gifts and, and stuff all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It means everything to me. In fact, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the recipient of the Savvy Ladies Inspiration Award at the gala that's going to be in November. And when they said it to me, I, only, I spoke to the organization earlier this year, and they said that because I did such a great job, and it's not about just my story. Like, I don't have a sob story because I'm not, I'm not a sob story. And person. in fact, you never told me any of this story before today. Right. This, is, this is not something I knew about. No. And it is incredible. 
Yeah. And so when they said they were giving me this, the inspiration award, this is a very she-she organization. It's not some booty type organization. This is very she-she. I broke into tears because it's not lost on me that every piece of recognition means that I was on the right path and that I got lost trying to be something I wasn't before. I thought I had to be perfect and every hair in place and every people don't care about that. You know what they care about? Realness, authenticity, and being able to be, bring your A game to every situation. When you meet a firefighter, do they have to be perfectly chiseled? No, but they're saving your life. They're going in a burning building. That's what I feel like when I meet a woman or a man, whether an executive, an entrepreneur, a speaker, and they've been successful in different realms, but they have a fire and I need to help them bring it out. And I have to put out other fires to allow them to let them, to let the light inside of them shine. And wow. so when Rihanna talks about shine bright like a diamond, we are all diamonds and we have forgotten it because of the way society is set up or because of the way we think we have to look. I cut off all most of my hair on the, the 4th of July. And can I tell you how refreshing that felt? I let I cut off the bowery. I cut off homelessness. I cut off addiction. I cut off abandonment. I cut off torture. I cut off abuse. I, I cut off disrespect. I cut it all off. And it feels good. Mm. It feels so good. And so, no, you didn't know all of this. And that's why I didn't want to have canned answers or anything. Nope. That's not what I like. I like to have a real conversation. Well, I am stunned and awe and honored all at once uh, to have gotten a chance to hear the story. Now, I have to continue asking follow-up questions, though, because you know, not only do you have this incredible biography, but here we are. We are in some of the most insane times imaginable. You and I met virtually rather than physically because we're mm -hmm. doing a global pitch event because nobody can see anyone. You're there in New York City, which has been through hell and back. Yes. What has 2020 been like and how has your perspective from what else, all the other things you've gone through helped you manage to, to inspire people during this time? You know, you know 2020 started off so beautifully, right? And I have to even say, even right now, it's beautiful. I know it sounds so crazy, but you know, they say, you know, sometimes you gotta be crazy like a fox. The truth is, you know, Harold was flying here, flying there, flying here, flying there. And then when the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, this will take two weeks. Two weeks turned into a month, a month turned into two, two turned into three. I was like, uh-oh, I might have to just get used to doing Zooms. And now I'm feeling better about it. You know, my, my sales went up. People could honestly see why they needed me more now than they did before. You know, as well as I know, Chris, a lot of people are becoming invisible. Yeah. They don't know what to do. And because I stay visible, it's giving, it's giving other people hope. Some people are jealous. I don't care about none of that. And then some people are like, I see why she stays visible. Because the more visible you stay, the more that people will reach out to you because they see that you didn't you didn't fold. That's right. You didn't fold. And so as much as it's great that, you know, these opportunities are coming, I've also had that temper with you know, an economic downturn and social unrest with the the, the murder of George Floyd, um, Armand Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. That has been very, very painful. And talking to my friends who all of a sudden wanted to become allies, and I said, no, we were friends before all of this. We will go out as friends. And I appreciate you, you know, using the word allies. But when I was, when I had no money for groceries, you put, you put, you put lobster in my fridge. You didn't give me just the canned goods. You gave me good food. Who does that? Who does yeah. that? Yeah. You know, you didn't treat me like a stepchild. You treated me like the sister. And so if anything I've learned from this experience, when I was homeless, I felt alone. I don't feel alone going through this experience. When you're alone as a homeless person, you feel invisible. People say things like you smell, you stink. Yeah, of course. 
I don't, and, and just imagine being homeless now. You can't go yeah. to the library. You can't read on a computer. Where do you go? And that's the beauty of the Bowery Mission Women's Center. We didn't have to go anywhere. We stayed in the house. We had a Christ-centered education. We made sure the house was clean. Donors would come by. Big companies would come by and cook for us and talk to us. So I was blessed beyond measure. And it's only in retrospect, just what Steve Jobs said, you connect the dot backwards, not forwards. And as I look back, I see how every decision led to this day, even with you and I meeting and taking it to the next level. The reason why I kept pursuing you, Chris, is because you and I have a similar talent. We really do. Absolutely. That's not something that most people, I, you know, like when I say I'm a pitch master, it's not like there are 50 million of us running around here. There's not. No, so when I, mean, I heard so when I heard you do your thing, I was like, oh snap, I got to keep up with this man. Oh snap. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Although again, I think that the interesting thing is, and there is the old saying, game recognizes game. Game recognizes game, trying to tell you. This is the key. Our games are different, but we recognize each other immediately. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. So so let me ask you a couple of other questions because I have a bunch of questions I always like to ask the different people that I interview. I like to get to know them, though Lord knows we've gotten to know you quite a bit already. But there's a few other things, a few nooks and crannies. Uh, first question, what is a musical artist that you love listening to? Who's somebody that you put on either your, your earbuds or your, your radio or whatever the heck people listen to these days? You know, <laughs> I love, it's funny. I love old school, like R&B, but mm -hmm. I really love Beyonce for some reason. I love her. And not again, let's not go with the glitz and glam Beyonce. I love watching old videos of her getting ready for her event. I love watching her lose the baby weight from two twins getting ready for um, Coachella, that kind of thing. Um, when I'm really listening to, Things that really come from my heart. I love listening to Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's a show on TV one. I'm not, I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. It's called Unsung. It's about old school R&B acts and funk and rockabilly from back in the day. Nice. And so I can listen to the Shy Lights, the Dramatics, Confunction, um, Atlantic Star, Midnight Star. So I like to go back to the older things because I feel like, oh, and I love old school country music like Patsy Cline, mm -hmm, Walking mm -hmm. After Midnight. Oh, that woman breaks my heart. And Hank Williams. Oh, 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 yes. When I need to, when I'm, when I'm having like those, 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 nobody loves me the moments, I have to go to old school country. When I need a pick me up, I go to Michael Jackson. I, I do because I want to be like, they want to be starting something with precious. They don't want to start nothing with me. They don't want that. They don't want that because, I listen, I'm bad. Leave me you alone. <laughs> yes. yes. So, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, how, about, uh, how about other things that you, you enjoy doing? And I love writing poetry. Poetry. I love writing. Oh, I love, I love I'm not writing. surprised. I'm not You're surprised. You're not surprised? You're not surprised? You're not surprised. There's a poem I was going to read, but I didn't know if it was it was a, a appropriate to. It, it is absolutely appropriate. So just give me a minute to 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 find it. It's in my Google Docs, but I think By that when people means. I think when people hear it, they will under. If you don't understand me now, you will understand after you hear me read this poem. It's one of the it's one of my few poems that truly, when I wrote it. I felt like it was a masterpiece. It might not be one of you, but to me, it was a masterpiece. So oh. I'm waiting for it. It, it, it. You know, it was a, it was a poem. It was actually my obituary. It was actually my obituary, and um, and uh, my writing, my book, my book coach told me to, um, you know, write it, and I wrote it in the form of a poem, and she was so stunned by it that I had the audacity to do it in a poem form. So here it goes, I'm just waiting for it to open. It's called The Dash. <clears throat> the Dash, The Dash. It's more than what it seems. It holds so much more than my hopes and dreams. From the time that I was born to the time that I died, I hope I made an impact and in turn taught women how to fly. Higher than they ever thought possible with every breath 
they took a gamble and bet on themselves and stopped all the rambles. My life stopped being mine when I was 15 years old. At that age, it was true that I broke the mold. No longer lost and unwanted, I was loved beyond measure. Life got really good and also a pleasure. My grandparents gave me a brand new vision. I couldn't quit ever. That was an easy decision. As I grew into a young woman, I made hella mistakes. But in the end, I did all that it takes. Many things got me down, but I did not stay there long. I would always rise like the phoenix, ever more strong. In my 30s came so much trauma. Then also came love and the feeling of glitz and glamour. I saw what was possible if I dared to try. So I did and let the chips fall by and by. I met scam artists, yes men and even fakers, alcohol and drugs, the ultimate life takers. In the end, as my life slowly slipped away, God said, heck no, this one I refuse to give away. He brought me back from the brink, re-energized me and my craft. Yes, he even gave me my entire life back. He told me that my life was not my own. It belonged to the women who felt all alone. The big and the fat, the scared and the lonely, the mistreated and misguided, who needed my light. Who the fuck am I to dim it, even at night? Wake up, precious. You are too valuable to others. You give women hope and show them why bother. Every time a woman graces the stage and surprises herself, she sees you holding her hand and nothing else. When the media comes calling and they select your girls, you make a liar out of their no good friends and allow them to twirl. Dancing, 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 taking it all in. My purpose on this earth is to make women smile again. To laugh at herself and to see the beauty in all that she does. Her weight and looks don't matter. It's what's inside of her that glows. As my time runs out and the dash becomes a number real, I have done all that I came to do. And I did it all with zeal. To every woman who knows my story, I gave it my all. For my second chance, continue to dance, hold them all in a trance, hail, even prayers, shine bright my diamonds. It was all for you. I would do it all again for the love and the admiration of you. The Dash by Precious Williams. Thank you so very much for being willing to share that. And I hear the artistry you have with words, the facility you have with language, the ability, as we say, to, to have poetry and prose. This is real poetry, though. Mm -hmm. yeah. When did you write that? Because it must have been I wrote relatively recently. Yeah, I wrote it. I wrote it. I believe it was, I think it was like February or March. Mm. And I'm really glad that we were able to talk about the arc of your life before you read it, because I think that really gives people a, a deeper appreciation for the themes of what you were talking about. Yep. Definitely. You see how it all fit together. Yeah. It all fit together. So yeah, the dash, I want my life to matter. And that the only, the most important is what I did between the day I, I came on this earth and the day I died. Well, I think that the key is you're living for other people. You're living as you put it, to really take their hand, guide them onto the stage, to help them slay, to achieve their dreams, to do all these things that they maybe didn't think they could do, but now you're guiding them. You're providing them with the kind of support that your grandmother provided to you. Right. 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 And so I'm just, I was very, I'm just very excited that, you know, we had this time to really have a real conversation. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's going to be tough to top that. I don't think I want to ask any, any other questions. But what I do want to do is to make sure now that people have experienced the power 
of your words, your language, your speaking, what should they do to find you? Where should they go? What profile should they follow? What email newsletter should they sign up for? <laughs> Where do they get on board the Precious L. Williams train? So you can go to my website, www.perfectpitchesbyprecious.com. And on my website, you can sign up for my newsletter. You can also sign up for my free quiz, which is a short six question free quiz that teaches you how to get started on creating the perfect pitch for your brand, your book, your product or service, or your new launch. Um, also on my site, if you are a speaker, I have a, I have a little, little book that, uh, tells you how to get free and paid speaking engagements. Yes, even today in the midst of a pandemic and social unrest and economic downturn. Also, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm under Precious L. Williams Killer Pitchmaster because, you know, stay on brand. On Twitter, I am at Perfect Pitch P. On Facebook, I am at Perfect Pitch P. Uh, let's see, Instagram, I am at Perfect Pitches P. On YouTube, I'm Precious L. Williams. So you can find me and you find great content every week. I like to upload silliness and great videos on pitching. And that is how it's best to get in contact with me. Um, if you want to email me, you can email me at precious at perfectpitchesbyprecious.com. And if you find yourself wanting to work with me, if you go to the work with me tab on my website, you, you can see how you can see my services that I offer from digital products all the way to one-on-one -on -one, um, coaching, training, and consulting. And I believe you've got something coming up in August, a great opportunity for folks. Yes, yes. I have the Ultimate Pitch Perfection program. It's a training program. And so it doesn't matter what type of pitch. Let's say you have the, the, the top four, which is investment, speaker, investment, media, you know, your elevator pitch and your speaker pitch. What I do is put together for you in a group training course is how I have such, actually, it, it's so funny even to talk about it because I did a Precious Fix My Pitch Master class uh, last weekend and this is the continuation in it's a five-week training course where it's all about learning how to craft the perfect pitch for you your brand whatever you want to bring to market and get you out there and finally one of the biggest things that I have for you is at the end you're going to pitch live we're gonna have a pitch party with my network and so you being you you being, you're about to be you have your mind blown about what's going to happen to you not only that i have emails templates checklists and you're going to be trained live by me every week so you will have homework you will get it done and you will see the power of what the killer pitch will do for your life and if you've always wanted to slay all competition i suggest you become a part of this so if you go to my website you will see it you will see the Ultimate Pitch Perfection program. I suggest you get on it because doors are closing. And you can also reach out to me at Precious at PerfectPitchesByPrecious.com to get more information in case you want to have a, a, a little chat about it. Wonderful. Well, Precious, thank you so much for making the time to come on. This is only going to be the first of many things we do together. So everyone needs to stay tuned for that. I'll definitely be making some announcements about that soon. Right. And on behalf of the amazing Precious L. Williams Esquire, this is Chris Yeh. Thank you for listening. <laughs>